thank you for this time together. We ask that you, once again, um, be gracious to us with the, the teaching of your word and as we dive into the second commandment this morning, that you would enlighten it for us, that you would illuminate it by your spirit so that we would be faithful to obey out of hearts that love you and are awed by the redemption you've worked in us through Christ. We pray that you continue to, to save us, even though we've already been saved, we realize that it is a process, too, to be made into the image of Jesus, and so we ask that, once again, your work is a means of grace to us to draw us to him, to um, let us see him in all his beauty, so that we are not drawn to lesser things. We thank you for this group. We thank you for this church. We pray that your word would be revered and um, honored and um, received this morning in all the classes here at Sylvania as we prepare for the, uh, the preaching of Philip uh, later on this morning. We thank you for the grace that you've given us to love your people and love your word. And it all comes from the finished work of Christ on which we rest. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, we are moving on. Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. Last week, we discussed the idea of the, the covenant, the Middle Eastern, the, the ancient suzerain treaty kind of covenant. That We see that structure in the Ten Commandments. Um, the first commandment, would you remember what, it, what, what was the overarching theme of the first commandment? To love, okay, it was have no other gods before me, and what, was, what do we draw from that? What is he, what is he presenting as the first um, overarching issue? Yes, who said it? Yes? Have me as your God, and what, is that, what does that affect? What, what effect should that have on us? Heart issue. You said it earlier. Did I? You did. I was hoping you'd repeat it. It's a hard issue. It's a hard <laughs> issue. Thank you. It, it, it's having no other gods before him orients our hearts to love only him. And it characterizes the application of all of the Ten Commandments from that point forward. Um, I am, you shall was the structure, right? He's done these things. He's redeemed his people. He's called them out of slavery in Egypt. Therefore, out of, out of love for him out of a reciprocal duty, a, 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 a mutual affection that they have for, in, in a covenant relationship. I am, you shall. You shall have no other gods before me. And that's a, that's a treaty language he's using there. Um, I, I remember a girl in college that, that, I, that, that, I, that I, I don't know, I knew her really, but, uh, but I, I, I saw her a lot uh, before I met Tammy. And... Um, I, I never talked to her, um, but 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 I had conversations with her in my head all the time. I mean, it's just one of those kind of deals, and and but I never spoke to her. But but she thought I was pretty cool. Um, we 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 our our relationship was deeper than reality. It really one of those kind of things. When we come to the second commandment, when we come to the second commandment. We're called to worship the God who is, not the God of our imagination, right? That, that's the core issue here. Love God, but love 
the God who's real. Love the God who's revealed. And that's what we see in the second commandment. Um, let's look at verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth, the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. What prompts this sin? What, what's the deal here? What's going on? Why is this an issue? Is God really against the arts? Were they starting to adopt a lot of the Egyptian um, polytheistic mindset where the images is all identical? Yeah, they've been there for how long? Four centuries? Four, 430 years. Um, they were in the culture of multiple gods, and each god had uh, an idol. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I noticed your smile was really big when I said that too. Yeah. You know, and, and God would never hold me, you know, accountable for, for something that, you know, that just because I haven't read the Bible. It, and you hear people say that, which is the same thing as carving a God in their own image or carving a God mm -hmm. the way you want. Mm -hmm. It's just we do it with a philosophy. We do it with ideas instead of with an actual piece of wood or stone. Right. And, and the word idol actually uh, derives from a, a, a verb that means to hew or to, uh, to, to hew into a shape, which, which indicates a physical representation of what you can't see, right? Um, the sin here, I think, is exactly that. You take what's incomprehensible, God, eternal, and, and, and form him into something that you want. I saw a great picture. Do y'all get those Reformed memes daily? Y'all get those? Memes, memes? I don't know. I've never seen it. Is that it? Memes? Memes? I don't know. I, I read. I don't listen. Um, I never was. So, um, so the, the one of them has uh, a picture of, you know, is it Da Vinci or Michelangelo did the one with, with man and God, the, the finger? You know what I'm talking about? Is it Michelangelo? So in place of the God image, which is another issue. Yes. Yeah. yeah, okay, that's where it was. And did you post it? Okay, well, anyway, what happened? In place of God doing this, reaching down to man, there's Aladdin's genie. You know, the God of their imagination is, you know, kind of the thing of give me what I want. But anyway, it was funny. It was one of those <laughs> visual ones. Okay. 
uh, he's not to be represented in any form. Deuteronomy 4, 15 through 18 confirms what that's uh, supposed, to, supposed to be uh, in Moses' sermon to them before he leaves. Uh, turn to Deuteronomy 4. verse 15. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, the things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. Um, you, you see here Moses, again, warning them of our tendency to want to conform what is beyond us to something we can control, that, that we can manipulate. Um, and it didn't take long for the Hebrews to break the first two commandments. Did I mean, we're, we're heading that way. After we get through the Ten Commandments, we see immediately there's the, the, the cash cow, right? the golden idol that comes up. Um, and, uh, and, and, and Aaron calls this idol... Yahweh, the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He, he's still calling them to worship the covenant name of God. And he gives credit to the, the God that he is worshiping as the one who brought them out of Egypt. But now he's worshiping God on their own terms, under their own control, something that they can touch and, and, um, and feel. Um, we don't do that, do we? Never. Never. Imagination is a good thing, right? Is it? Are we are we against imagination as Christians? No. God's creative. We need to be creative. In fact, we should be the most creative community that there is because we reflect Him. Uh, we'd be we'd be kind of hosed without it. God is creative. We should be creative. However, it's if it's a lie to misinterpret someone else's character through my fantasy, uh, how much more the eternal God. It's a falsehood. It's calling God something that he's not, which is blasphemy. Right? Do we? Lots of nodding of the heads. Okay. The, the effect of wanting to be on God's level is that we bring him down to ours. Um, what was the first sin? Do you remember the temptation of the first sin? Genesis 3? You'll be like God. You'll be like God. Nice, it was echoed. Um, you'll be like God. That's idolatry. They're, they're wanting to, to um, create God in their own image. The, the, uh, it's not real. It's fantasy. It's a lie. Um, the statement that you brought out, this is how I like to think about God. Right, that should never be 
That should never be from us. <laughs> this is what he says about himself. This is reality. This is how he has revealed himself. I will tell you, I will tell you the Smurfs is not true. We would be offended if somebody said that kind of stuff to us. Yeah. And yet somehow, people just, when they're talking about God, they don't draw from what he says mm -hmm. about his own character and who he is and who he told us mm -hmm. he is. And he is a person, three persons. Right. And how does in our culture people don't get offended when you right. say stuff about God that's not true? Because even in our language, uh, we create idols. You know, um, this is what I think about God. This is what he he would never do. This he would never do that. And based on what? Based on my the inclinations of my own heart that justifies me doing what's right in my own eyes rather than um, being reflective of the character of God. Why, why does he say this is such a big deal in the, in the text, uh, the, uh, Exodus 20, 4 through 6? Why does he say this is such a big deal? It's a language God uses here. He's a jealous God. What does that mean? That sounds awfully snarky. <laughs> Let's strike you as a little weird for God to own jealousy in himself? It seems, it seems that way because for us it's wrong, but for God it's not. For us it's wrong. Okay? He'd be violating the first commandment. He's not jealous for his own glory. Um, I don't know that it's always wrong in human relationships. Yeah? I mean, I... I, I tend to think that I'm a little protective of Tammy. Um, yeah, I, I, I think pounding on somebody who's trying to violate the covenant that I have with her would be a righteous thing to do. Um, I, God's relational, right? He's a relational being. This is a code of, it's a covenant. He, he has taken on the role, metaphorically, of husband to the bride Israel. That's what's going on here. The jealousy you see here, the, the word, the term, the concept of the, of the, the term that we translate jealous has, has within it mixed zeal and jealousy. God forbids making images of him because Israel belongs to him, the real him. Um. Mutual faithfulness is to define the union. And, and if, if, it, if that purity and sanctity of that covenant is violated, he responds 
zealously and jealously for it. Um, you know, if, if Tammy were to say to me, I, I, I love Kevin, um, I, or, or somebody else, I, I love his full head of hair, um, I, I love his great singing voice, um, I love those rock-ribbed abs, you know, and, and she's, I'm, I'm right here, this is not me, what are you talking about? That is, as much as that would offend a friend, which is what you just said, how much more somebody you, you're married to? You should know very well, that ain't me. So what's going on in your head if that ain't me, right? That's a, that would cause me to be jealous and zealous for a right, um, either work out more, I don't know, but whatever. Um, the consequences here of idolatry are severe. What does he say he's going to do if, you, if the Israelites, the Hebrews, engage in this kind of activity? What does he say he's going to do? Now, is that fair? No, or yes. No, or yes, or a swallow. <laughs> a swallow. Anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, I can't remember all the verse he said there, but anyway, yeah. Um, what is that right? That is that. Is there a conflict there? Because he also says, "Don't judge the sons for the sins of the father." Later on, like in Ezekiel and places like that. Is that a conflict we have in Scripture? He's visiting the sin on third and fourth generation. How do you He's trying to drive home the severity of that sin. Okay. And that you need to understand that there are consequences to your sin. Right. Right. Isn't there... Yes, go ahead. Um, one thing, if it's like a married relationship, if somebody's... If they're seeing the person as they're not, um, like your example there, if they're saying, okay, I love this about this person, then they realize, oh, that's that's not true about that, mm-hmm. then they'll start looking somewhere else for something. For their ideal. Very good. Very good. Did you hear that? If, if you're, if you're um, in a relationship and you love something about somebody that's not there, once the blinders come off, uh, then you start looking for where that fantasy will be fulfilled. Right? There's a, there's a fidelity, there's a faithfulness that's there, built upon reality or not. And if it's not built upon reality, then the basis for faithfulness goes away. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Does that translate into, like, if you're saying, well, God is this way, God is this way, and this is making up what you want God to be, you may be going to uh, to a church, but if you're, if you're able to get away with kind of making up your own God, you may end up going off into... Right. Right, right. Or something where you can just pick and choose whatever you sure. want to be. And uh, make your own truth. And then you're God. I, I will give you an example uh, uh, personally on that. When we were going through Exodus, lo, those many years ago at, at Howard and Kim's. Um, and, and we ran into the whole issue that we've discussed in here about Pharaoh and hardness of heart and those kinds of things. You saw in chapter 4 where God tells Moses before he goes to Egypt, um, I'm going to harden, I'm going to, that's HCSB, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Um, <laughs> I, I railed against that. It rocked me to, to get that concept because I, the God of my imagination would never do that. Right? 
the God of my imagination would never leave someone in their sin, pass over them, harden them, excite their own sin against them to raise them up and judge them. That, that's, that's, not, that's not my God. I don't know what Bible you've been reading. So I had a crisis there. What am I going to do with that? Do I either, I either believe what's real or I abandon this and go look for something else that's a little bit more um, palatable to me in my cultural context? That's one example of that. I'm sure you have had some of those. Any, any, um, anybody have a crisis where you have an idol of your imagination that you've had to deal with? That's a big one. Um, all right. So the consequences of this are, are severe. The vi he visits the sin of the fathers upon the sons to the third and fourth generation of those, and how does he characterize these who worship him wrongly, who, who worship the God of their imagination? He says, of those who hate me, who hate me. It's not those who are just a little bit misunderstanding of who I am, not those who are somewhat, you know, uh, not good at listening comprehension of what I've told them already. They hate me. That's pretty harsh. Do you agree? Well, if you, if you look at me and say, oh, you're divine and you're, you know, prophet A and you whatever, well, I'm not that, which would make me think that then you do hate who I am. If you have to make up something different. Right. Then I, I mean, that's just to use a human example. Right. No, it's not. <laughs> Carl, Carlos won't get that. I'm sorry. Not even speaking about, you know, oh, Kevin, you know, he's so buff. Or it's just, yeah. You know, just lies. All lies. Yeah. That, that is, that is. Uh, Those aren't the characteristics of God. Right. You know, whether they be in your, in God or really everywhere else, they're not. Right. So loving other people can be evil when they're. Those who hate me. That really hit me. As I was reading through that, I mean, that, anyway. But As well, over abundantly gracious. And the next phrase, what does he say? The thousands, some some translate it, thousands of generation to the to the thousands generation, um, thousands of those who love me. Love me, he says, not the God of your imagination. I will not be conformed to an image made by my creatures. So I'll bring back to the, the, to the uh, previous question. Does God forbid art? Yes. What kind of art? Not, not, uh, not the NEA kind of art. Uh, I'm talking about the expression of 
Uh, well, does he does he forbid making any images at all? You could only say that if it's a Bible prophecy verse four. Okay. So verse five is for the video. Okay. Where, you're, where, where your heart is, and in that saying that you've created. Right. Okay. Um, yes, ma'am. I also read ahead. That's right. okay. Excellent. Keep, keep going. But I just like, he gave them very specific specifications of what to make. There right. were curtains. There were specific instructions on this structure. Um, everything to divide all the rooms. Basin to hold the water. Mm-hmm. Um, the altar. Everything. And these were objects that were going to be used in worship of him. Right. And the only thing that was representational was, were the cherubim. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there were pictures throughout, throughout the, in the, yeah, in, in the. You would have had to have artists to create all that. Yes, you, you got uh, anybody in the way of a smithy. You got people doing metalwork. You've got people weaving fabric and pictures of, of angels and all of that in the fabric. So there are representations, but they're all of what? Of creatures, of created things. The place where God is represented in. The tabernacle is where? And you mentioned it. The ark. At the mercy seat, the throne of grace it's called. Who's there? No one's there. There's no image of God there sitting at the mercy seat. What does that tell you? I mean, we're about to get... Well, I'll say about to. We're on commandment two. Um, Exodus 26 is where we hit the tabernacle. We're going to start going through that. God, you're right. God designed it himself. He set out the parameters. He was very specific on make this art and, and use your creativity in doing it. But this is what we, we need to do. Uh, he ordered the angels, the images of the angels to be woven into the curtains. All this, all this imagery, there's no image between the angels on the, on the lid of the, uh, of the covenant. Someone's got to sit there. Who sits there? On the, uh, the mercy seat, and the, or the Ark of the Covenant. It's empty. The cherubim. the cherubim are there. They're leaning over, but there's a hole there. It's a, it's a seat. Who sits there? Sacrifice. God. God is spirit. He doesn't have a body like men. Isn't that anticipating? Who sits there? Jesus. I'll provide my own image. Thank you very much. It's anticipating him. No man or idol can sit there. They don't have a right to. They're not sufficient. In reality, they're not sufficient to sit there at the mercy seat. His purpose was to show himself to his people in the, pre- in the person of Christ. That's where it's going. You don't provide an image of me. I provide an image of me to you. When you see me, you've seen the Father, Jesus said to Philip. The fulfillment of the second commandment is the birth of Christ. You see that? He's the image of the invisible God. In him the fullness of the deity was pleased to dwell. He's the image of... You're going to make an idol of God when he provides Christ. Okay. God, uh, J.I. Packer says it this way. God the Father is altogether Jesus-like. When we see him, 
we see the Father. The coming of Jesus radically reorients the second commandment into specific adoration for the one who is the image of the Father. These commandments anticipate Christ. All of them do. And here we see it very clearly. Um, but, but here's the amazing thing. He, he goes further, uh, Christ, with the second commandment. And he, he fulfills it in an incredible way. Because of his finished work on the cross, through his spirit, he unites us to him to be conformed to his image. Why would we ever make lesser things, given what he's doing in us? We're remade in his image. Um, I want to be clear, we worship Jesus, we don't worship the church. <laughs> the church is made up of creatures. But we can be thankful to God of what he's doing in us to reflect himself in the, um, in the, uh, in the, in the, the sanctification that's happening, the change that's happening. That's the end game, isn't it? That we look like him, right? Um, is this something that, that y'all struggle with, worshiping a God of your imagination? What do you do about that? How do you how do you struggle against that? I think it strikes home the importance of knowing who God really is mm -hmm. as revealed in the scripture. Mm -hmm. Because even just in our relationships here, when we act based on our assumptions of what someone else is thinking or who they are, mm -hmm. it causes a lot of damage. Yeah. It's very it's dangerous. I mean, it can ruin the Yes, it can. Um, and spending a lifetime uh, worshiping a God of our imagination when God calls worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth is a dangerous thing. Do you find it interesting that when God reveals himself, he speaks? He doesn't give um, a movie. He doesn't give, um, uh, pick your visual. He speaks. Speaking is a very intimate enterprise, isn't it? When we use words, we make choices of what words to use, and it reveals something about who we are, what we're thinking. It's a very intimate thing. Um, a picture may be subject to a thousand different personal interpretations, but words give a lot more. <laughs> Still can be misconstrued, but they give a lot more about what's going on in the heart of a person. Um, turn to Luke 24. story. It's kind of a longer passage. I, I don't want to read the whole thing. The road to Emmaus. Christ had been crucified. He had raised himself from the dead. Just think about that for a little bit. 
Um, and these disciples were leaving Jerusalem despondent um, about seven miles outside Jerusalem to this village called Emmaus and as they're walking they're discussing what had happened with the crucifixion and how despondent they were and Jesus kind of settles up next to them and they don't know who he is and how does he reveal himself to them and he starts beginning with Moses, reveals and shows how these things had to take place, and discusses with them how the Christ should suffer and die and be raised again. Does he show them a movie? Does he show them a Jesus film? And I'm not knocking that. I think it's a good tool. Um, he doesn't show them. He doesn't do a, a big transfiguration thing for them out there on the road. He could have. And, and what's the example? Talking. Talking. Now, what kind of burden does that put on us? <laughs> I say that to Nathaniel. <laughs> Use your words, son. Um, <laughs> what, what is that? Did I say his name? I didn't say it. One of my children, I used that. Um, what, what, does that what kind of obligation does that put on, on us? If that's the example, to use words. Yeah, we got work to do. We got to know what it says. We got to know who he is. Notice how they ended that after he broke bread, and and then you know they, oh Jesus, he disappears. And I don't, I don't know if we would have built a theology on the new body off of that situation, but but there it is. That's what it says. He did. He, he's gone. They said to each other, "Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road?" While he opened to us the scriptures. I'm on verse uh, 32. I'm sorry. He reveals himself intimately through language and words and ideas and pulling together the scriptures for them to create um, an ark from Genesis to him. And it affected them. You have here... The image of God testifying to the goodness of God. They see him for who he really is in his word. Right? Because he gave it to them. He told them. And they worship him. Their hearts are moved. They worship the second person of the Trinity, the image of God. And obey the second commandment in doing so. Is that instructive to us? Absolutely it is. We learn from the word. We learn from what he's revealed. It affects us. Because we have no other gods before him. Right? It affects us. And we obey the second commandment. Because we worship Christ. Um, Alright, we're low on time. Anyway, I don't want to get into that. I was going to do something else. Alright, what, any any comments? Any questions? Clear? Um, Crystal? Yes. When you asked, um, how do we not suffer and die like this? And you felt people believe the wrong things about God or mm -hmm. um, taking the name of God or being unbelieving. Mm -hmm. I think people tend to think that God is like them. So 
God thinks the way that you do and has the reactions that you do. Mm -hmm. And so, um, or that God is like our uh, role model in our life and Mm -hmm. that we we see other failures. And so, God's like my dad. And to test everything against the word that's been revealed rather than what we wish he would have said. When we limit God to the four corners, mm-hmm. um, are we limiting him or are we limiting our understanding of him? Mm-hmm. He's not big enough now because that's all I that's all I can take in. That's all I've got. I, you know, um, well, I have ran out of time. Okay. Yes. And we should and, get better. Call better. Everything about himself, but there are so many things we can learn mm-hmm. about him. And even being in MTG for seventeen years. Yeah, it talked a lot about God, didn't it? I don't know everything. <laughs> Forgiveness I don't and. Know everything there is to know about you. Well, and you're a person. You're finite. Sure. And I don't know everything. There's not much more. Sure. In recognizing that we are finite beings trying to understand mm-hmm. and God, right. and we're going to get some things wrong, and that that should also lead to grace among, among each other, other, right? And I get, and I and I guess what I, I guess what I don't want to to encourage is that we don't worship God because we're so afraid that we got it wrong that we're in the corner with a nosebleed in the fetal position because oh what if I got the wrong God in my imagination? Mm-hmm. Don't do that, but. Don't be characterized by, well, God to me is this. Uh, I think, you know, this is the way I think of God. Don't be characterized by that. I think a better approach, would, well, a better approach would be, um, this is what he says in Scripture. I want to conform to this. I want to submit to this. Even though it conflicts with my 21st century cultural understanding of the way God in my image should be. Right? Because that's really what we're getting at. 
the role models, God would do this because I do this. What is that ultimately saying? I'm God, and he should be like me. That's really what we get down to, um, and that's what we, what we don't want because that's idolatry. That's setting ourselves up as um, higher than him. Mm. You know, uh, I'm pretty sure he was probably talking about Deuteronomy oh, yeah. there. Oh, yeah. And so it kind of comes full circle. Absolutely. Very good. Good connection. Any others? Any other comments? Okay. Well, you're not fidgeting as much. I'll let you out early so you get to have numb legs. All right. Father, we do thank you for the grace that you give us to worship you. We pray, Father, for hearts that are driven to know you and the Son you have sent. Therein lies eternal life. To know you in reality rather than in our imagination. And we know, Father, even now that, that we see through a glass dimly. But we have a great hope that you've promised that one day we will see Christ face to face and we'll be made like him when that day happens. Father, give us a zeal and jealousy to worship you in truth. Teach us to reflect your heart in our faithfulness in worship of the God who is, not the God of our imagination. Lord, as we walk into the service this morning, Give us a spirit of thankfulness that you did what you didn't have to do, which is speak and reveal yourself in a very intimate way. You opened up the veil and let us see what you're like, who you are, and you did it in such a huge way in Christ. We want to worship him in truth, and so we pray that your word drives us to see him as he is, to, to be made like him, to desire him. We are what we love, and we want to love him more than anything else. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.